Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast, action-packed podcast today. Uh, I'm John Menyo, along with Matt Eddy, and we also joined later in the show. We'll play an interview I did with Cody Decker, Padres farmhand, Team Israel player in the recent World Baseball Classic, and a guy who we've hated on (laughs) over the years. Specifically, I apparently have hated on at Baseball America, which I didn't even remember, but now we have evidence to prove that I hated on Cody Decker. So we'll talk a little bit about that and the World Baseball Classic. Uh, later this uh, in this podcast, but Matt and I are going to talk about uh, it's prospect season. Matt, it's the dawn of prospect season. Uh, we just finished our league top twenty prospects issue. Uh, the magazine has a list of twenty scouting reports for ten prospects in each or- league in organized baseball, plus of course JJ Cooper's exhaustive indie ball coverage. And now online, we go twenty deep. You get a chat. So for three weeks in a row, basically fifteen days in a row, you get. League Top 20, and a chat every day at Baseball America. I don't know of any other website that approaches that, for even for other sports, Matt, that does the kind of – this is just a, if you're a Baseball America subscriber, you're getting your money's worth the next three weeks. So we, we, we like this time of year. But it's a labor-intensive thing to do and uh, takes a lot of phone calls. And Matt happened to be our only staffer this year who did two leagues. So um, – Appalachian League, which is already online. We can talk about that thoroughly, and we're going to get into a little Spoilers. League history. Yep. And then the Easter, Eastern League, we don't want to spoil yet. And I did the International League this year, which was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Not a good league this year, the International League, but it was, uh, I guess I, I kind of pulled a little rank and gave myself an easier league to do because I saw all those guys in Durham this year and talked to scouts while I was doing Bulls games and all that good It'll stuff. It'll be better next year. I would, I would hope so. I would definitely hope so. But just first, you know, Matt, I'm trying to think of if I've ever done – I know I did the Arizona League one year. I'm pretty sure I've done a short season league, but it's been a while. But how different is it for you this year, especially doing the Eastern League, which you've never done before. That's my old stomping grounds. And then the Appy League, which you've done for, for several years. Uh, kind of how do you approach those two leagues differently? Well, you know, uh, the lower down you go into the minors, such as – the Appalachian League, which is really the first uh, traveling rookie league. Right. Uh, the lower down you go, the more emphasis I think everybody places on the um, you know, on the tools and and the projection and and the uh, profile and, and and the role this player may fill in the future, uh, de-emphasizing the statistics, especially right. when, when compared with Double A AA and Triple A. And it's so hard to. Uh, and the thing is, like the first time you're okay, you 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 have your league assignment, and when you first start diving into it. The first thing you do, especially even in a rookie league, but even a, but especially at an upper level league, is you go through the stats. You know, you go. Uh, for me, I go into the minor league baseball the backdoor site uh, where you pay a lot of money to get these stats and to have this access to the backdoor. And I go on the team statistics, all players, everyone who's been called up, sent down, whatever. And I go and I just comb through that entire file for every single team and take a lot of notes for my prep file. That's the first thing I do. But I, at the rookie level, I mean, like in the Appy League, I know you do some of that because I've seen the spreadsheets and they're <laughs> awesome. But at some point, do you like? I guess what what grabs your eye statistically? You, what ha, what does a guy have to do statistically at the Appy League level to grab your eye? I think it's probably similar to what scouts look for at, at tryouts or when they scout players who are very uh, who are still who their skills are still immature. Um, you look for the power elements. Uh, Pitchers who can miss bats, batters who can you know hit home runs and hit extra base hits, uh, make contact with the ball. All those those are all important things. Right. Uh, the, you know the first step I do is I I look at uh, draft status, and if we have bonus information, I just look at that to see who right. the guys who are supposed to be guys are. That's right. And that's, the that's priority a, guy. That's how organizations line them up. Yeah. Let's be realistic. So we definitely take our cues from that. And I think we actually take our cues from that less than we used to because I remember mm-hmm. ranking players only because they'd gotten large signing bonuses, and even though the tools didn't sound all that special in the past. But I think we do have a more discerning eye these days, but that's still a place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially with international players, we've, we've come to, to see um, how illogical some of those bonuses line up with the actual talent levels. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll never forget that column that Jim did on the top 100 where all the lowest-priced players on the top 100 were like Ruby De La Rosa and Michael Pineda, and they... I think they combined for less than $50,000 in signing bonus. Yep. And who knows if any of those have been skimmed, too. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you really think about it, it was uh, pretty eye-opening to see Ruby De La Rosa with his $15,000 signing bonus on the same top 100 as, like, I don't know, Bryce Harper, you know, and all the money he'd gotten. Um, but like you said, it seemed like those lists over the years have been 
I mean, we we do a five years ago chart with every one of those top twenties, and the Appy League list are the, some of the funnest ones. At the same time, they're the ones that have the least, the fewest asterisks. Oh yeah. Just by just by uh, it makes it logical that your rookie level top twenty would have fewer graduates because there's so much distance between what those players are when they're in rookie league and what they're going to be in a major league. There's so much projection. Um, what are some of the greatest hits and, and misses of the Matt Eddie <laughs> tenure? You've been doing the, the, the you've done this league every year since what 06? Every year since 05, save save for 07, which was kind of probably the low water mark for the league. So we stuck it with Nathan Rudy. <laughs> no offense to Nathan. Speaking of low water mark, Nathan's uh, scuba diving this week in the oh, dry tortugas. Fitting. Can we just tell me about it exactly? Well, there's three big leaguers in the 07 list: uh, Neftali Feliz, Jeff Locke, and Brandon Hicks. That's that's, so, that's still and, and Jeff Locke uh, still without a major league win right now. Well, and Pete Kozma. Pete Kozma. Uh, uh, Feliz, of course, a rookie of the year and a, a two-time pennant winner. But um, aside yeah. from that, it's not and, and not very exciting. An, imp- an impactful player, certainly. Uh, Natalia Feliz, but kind of his career's future, I think, is a little bit up in the air. Tommy John. Most guys come back from Tommy John, but not all. Uh-oh. And uh, especially a guy who doesn't have a ton of feel anyway. Jeff Locke, who hasn't. Uh, <laughs> Hasn't won a major league game yet, but is in your international league top ten this year. Ooh. So there's a little tease for you. And of course, that league's list had one of my all-time personal cheese balls and, and Cole Rohrbaugh. <laughs> I loved Cole Rohrbaugh. I uh, written about him in junior college at Western Nevada that year in the draft. And he's a guy who, like you said, he missed a ton of bats, and he got a decent amount of money that year as a yep. draft and follow. I think it was the last draft and follow class, and he mm-hmm. got like. Three hundred some thousand dollars. He missed a lot of bats. You had a guy down there, and your number ten prospect that year, Mike McCardle, was a guy who missed a lot of bats. Now, granted, it was with a breaking ball. And I think that's one of the yeah. things that you have, Matt. In lower levels, it seems like a pitcher who comes in with an advanced breaking ball can really uh, seem like more of a prospect than he is. Because if you have a good breaking ball at lower levels, you're going to get a lot of strikeouts. That's that's an excellent point, and probably the the uh, case in point. You know, the the case study for this year's class would be. Osuna, Roberto Osuna of the Blue Jays, the 17-year-old uh, Mexican right-hander who nephew has a, of Antonio, correct? Yep. Uh, uh, who 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 did balloon out as he as right. he accrued experience, but he started pretty pretty skinny. But uh, uh, what's his face here? Yeah, Roberto. This, Roberto is 270 pounds already. Oh my gosh! Or 200, 230. That. Sorry, but still, he's on the Bruce Rondon fitness plan. He's gigantic. Um, but he, he has a, a very advanced changeup, which, you know, the hitters at that level are swinging at the arm speed, you know. If you can get it in the zone consistently, they're going to swing at it. That's, a, that's a, I think, an important point. Um, again, going back to that list from five years ago, there's Bradley Tippett with the Angels who had a great changeup. Still some hope for some players on that list, like uh, uh, Luke Van Mill. Has he been to the big leagues or no? He's been on a 40-man, but he's, he's not He's been on a 40-man. Uh, David Bromberg in the twin system, I think, is still kicking around. And Cody Johnson... Didn't you get some uh, reports on Cody Johnson even in the Eastern League this year with Trenton? The Yankees have a decision to make. It's his uh, minor league free agent year if he's not on the 40-man. So. And, and that guy has a, uh, still has as much power. We still get tons of scouting reports on that guy's power. Like, man, Cody Johnson just lost one. Uh, so that's that's your five years ago list. Let's talk a little bit about this year's list, Matt, I mean, because the guys at the top of your list didn't necessarily put up the biggest stats, even in the power stats. But Byron Buxton, Courtney Hawkins, Bubba Starling, you're one, two, three. And then, of course, there's a raised left-handed pitcher in here somewhere. That, that, <laughs> that's a tradition unlike any other, it seems like, in the Appalachian League. But let's start at the top, Buxton, Hawkins, and Starling. We, I think we've talked about on a podcast seeing Starling and Buxton play in that playoff game. Mm-hmm. But Courtney Hawkins kind of gets almost forgotten a little bit in there. And he had about as good a pro debut. You, he had a great draft year. Big spring. Gets on TV, does the flip. Does the flip. So everybody knows Courtney Hawkins. And then he finishes the year in high class A in the Carolina League playoffs. Yeah. How did he, what did he, Courtney Hawkins do to squeeze it? He seems like he's almost like a hybrid of the two. If you fused Bubba Starling and Byron Buxton, in some ways you're going to end up at Courtney Hawkins, right? Uh, it's possible. Um, Hawkins, certainly the, the thing that stands out is his offensive potential. Now, um, at this point, he's, he's, he's too aggressive. You know, the walk rate is very, very low. Um, and, you know, I've... Some of the players I've missed on in the past also had that same characteristic, such as um, uh, a year ago, Brandon Drury for the Braves. He looked looked for all the world like a uh, first division third baseman, but he had a really uh, lousy first half this year. Yeah, Um, where was he? Was it uh, he wound up? Did he wind up back in Danville? 
No, he uh, he, he, he played with Rome all year, but okay. he, he did rebound a little bit in the second half. And uh, <laughs> going way back to the uh, 06 list, remember the outfielder uh, Kieran Pope with, I do with, the, with uh, the Orioles? I think that the fact that you were, had to rank Chiron Pope or Kieran, however you pronounce it, that, that's a sign that it was a bad league. <laughs> you had Billy Rao in the league. I mean, yeah. you know, what can you do? That was a league where we've, we've uh, gone back and realized the guy we should have had was Chris Medlin. Yeah. Um, tough guy. Tough guy to profile because a guy who got $75,000, was kind of new, but had a, had a big-time year. Again, strikeout to walk was 36-2. to two. We've gone back and looked. But at the same time, six-foot right-hander, I don't think anyone thought that I always liked Chris Medlin. I mean, I, I, I remember talking when he signed. Uh, I know the signing scout, same guy who signed Tommy Hansen. I remember seeing him in the minor leagues move up with Tommy Hansen, and I was always on the Tommy Hansen bandwagon. I never thought Chris Medlin would be better than Tommy Hansen. And not just uh, – it's a yawning gap now. I mean, like when Tommy Hansen pitches into the sixth inning these days, it's a celebration in Atlanta. It's crazy. Um, whereas when Chris Medlin gives up a run, it's like a – it's shocking. But, I mean, a six-foot right-handed reliever – Kind of, those kind of guys are seemingly, even the ones who dominate in, in, in rookie ball, are kind of feel like a diamond dozen. Whereas the athletic outfielders who have, who show you the athleticism and the upside, like Buxton, Hawkins, and and uh, Starling, they seem a little bit more rare. You know. Yeah. Uh, so despite that check mark against Hawkins, I think most of the league agreed that he might might have the highest offensive ceiling in the league. And uh, probably a, a profile right fielder, I guess, down the line. Yeah, right? yeah. Even I think even his own. I think even the White Sox concede that he's not a center fielder. I, th- I would think more along the lines of um, Justin Upton or uh, okay. Giancarlo Stanton, at least in terms of that shift. Right. Now you had uh, we had Max Kepler in this league. I think this was his third year in the Appy League or second. third year in rookie ball. So second year in the Appy League. Uh, this is probably a guy who improved as much as anybody. You usually don't have a lot of repeaters. I'm guessing who make league top 20s. Um, we had Nico Goodrum, who was in the, in the third year in the league. Did he make last year's top 20? Um, no, he uh, he okay. missed both years. Okay. And he didn't make it this year, I don't believe, right? No. And then, But but what did Kepler do to improve that much? Because he's a pretty intriguing prospect. Obviously, we all saw him in last week's – all of us saw him in last week's <laughs> World Baseball Classic. I'm sure we were all watching. <laughs> I was. But, but it seems like Max Kepler's made as much improvement as you know, anybody in the minor leagues this year. Yeah, you know, um, he filled out quite a bit, which would for a center fielder, which would seem like a bad thing. Um, but uh, in fact, combined with his plate approach, this this newfound uh, bulk and, and maturity and aggressiveness uh, really helped him put together uh, a fine season for Elizabethan. And in fact, he actually shifted over to left field when um, Buxton arrived late right. in the year, kind of giving a sneak peek. But uh, yeah, managers really liked him because he was tough to pitch to. You know, not the sort of guy where you can just you know, expand the zone on him and get him out with three or four pitches. To me, that's the intriguing part, is that you would not expect a 19-year-old German mm-hmm. to have a polished approach to the plate. Mm-hmm. But reading his report, it sounded like he did mm-hmm. in that league context. Plus his power, he didn't just draw walks. He got into hitter's counts and then punished the ball when he did. Right, right, which we saw that too. That's right. I mean, he drove the ball. and um, I'm fascinated by, you know, what goes forward, I think I'm pro- probably a little hyperbole that he improved as much as anyone in the minor leagues. But just watching him last year, then this year, again, it's just a small look. As J.J. likes to say, hashtag not a scout. <laughs> but last year, his batting practice was just so unimpressive. The ball did not come off his bat with any authority. This year it did. You know, the, just the sound of the ball off the bat was really different for him. And like he said, physically, you could really see a difference. He went from being boyish to mannish, and yeah. uh, that's a big difference. He's know? 6'4". I think he's going to look like a corner outfielder when he's – you know, 22, 23. And if he still moves, uh, maybe not like a center fielder, but if he still moves the way that, you know, with any of his heritage, not heritage, any of his, uh, of his background, of his parents, his lineage, uh, the, as they said, the, the scouts when he signed that he was moved gracefully. He does have two parents who are ballet dancers. Um, that would help going forward if he's going to be as big as it looks like he's going to be. Um, who is, is there a guy deeper on your list who's kind of a – a sleeper Appy League uh, guy that you you know maybe might take a little bit longer, but uh, but that you liked. Uh, you know the guys at the very back. Um, the, the Braves have a shortstop, Jose Peraza, fits the profile perfectly. He runs. He's a consistent fielder. Uh, doesn't have a lot of you know strength or extra base power right now, but he's also you know 17, 18. So right, right. He's somebody who you might be hearing from in a couple of years. You know. Kind of like maybe uh, a lesser Andrelton Andrel- Simmons kind of player. Not like the Braves even need a new <laughs> shortstop with Andrelton Simmons. I mean, that guy, 
And then uh, another one has come so he's come along so much quicker, I think, than we thought he would. And Cameron Gallagher, the Royals catcher, a couple injuries kept him from catching as many games as the Royals would have liked. But it looks like he has kind of like a Devin Mesoraco starter kit. They're both from rural Pennsylvania. Yep. And the you know big bulky right-handed hitters. Some physicality. I was about to say it's like a yeah. right-handed hitting physical catchers from Pennsylvania. That's a good uh, starting point for those comparisons. Um, I, I, we talked earlier uh, before we move off the Happy League about how high draft um, pedigree can help you on this league list. We had a lot of uh, high draft guys in that 11 to 20. Brandon Martin mm-hmm. for the Rays, uh, Gavin Cicchini, another shortstop for the Mets. Carson Kelly for the Cardinals, and then Daniel Norris with the Blue Jays. Let's talk a little bit about those guys. Daniel Norris probably had about as bad a stats as anybody on any of these league top 20s. He sounds like he's got a long way to go for the Blue Jays, not just because of the numbers, just the stuff was inconsistent, it sounds like. Yeah, if you really parse it down a lot, you can see, well, first we should mention he had an 8 ERA right. in the Ivy League, and you never see that. And this is a guy who, again, in 2011 draft, people, people remember, you know, Jim on the draft show, where they had the Jim Callis, the Baseball America top 30 players or whatever on the board, on the touchscreen with Jim and Matt Yaloff, and Josh Bell and Daniel Norris were the last two guys off that board, if memory serves. And Daniel Norris got, what, $3 million? $2 million. The Blue Jays? $2 million. That's a second rounder. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, he's a dude, and he should be moving in that same circle as, you know, maybe a year behind the Aaron Sanchez, Noah Syndergaard, Justin Nicolino, those guys who were exactly full season ball this year. Is he close, Steve? Just judging by what he did in the Appy League, could he be a full, in full season ball next year? Or is he going to repeat? You know, it's weird because his strikeout and walk numbers were in line, but when with runners on base, his OPS against was 900. Wow. So, I mean, he was just completely falling out of his mechanics or something was – What's happening with runners on base? I, I mean, mean, on the stretch, yeah. From yeah, from the stretch, uh, and it just sounds like he had a really tough time getting his delivery and sync balancing, and then extending through. It just seems like there's a lot of mechanical issues at this stage. So some maturity probably issues there, just in terms of consistency, focus, and also some mechanical issues. I think I think he's athletic and he's got some physicality to him. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like he has to focus on doing what he's been told to do because the natural ability is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think everyone missed that badly on Derek Norton. He was a consensus first-round talent in that draft. And Cicchini and Martin, I mean, a couple of young shortstops, so like, is that, it seems like it's more of a physical, like the waiting for the physicality to come along to catch up with some of their skills. Yeah, for Cicchini, he's, you know, none of his tools at this point look like they're going to be more than 55-ish. Yeah. But, um, you know, if, if he does stay on shortstop, you know, you'll take a 55 hitter. Right, right, uh, absolutely. Martin has um, Martin has pretty impressive power. He's the only middle infielder with double-digit home runs in the league. Okay. Um, but a uh, long way to go with just making contact and his two-strike approach. Um, Doesn't exist right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty pretty easy to get him out once, the, once you're ahead. The best part of that is you're in rookie ball. That's where it's okay to not have a two-strike approach. That's why they have rookie balls for you right. to learn <laughs> that and... Now these guys are all in instructional leagues. Hopefully not flipping tires on a beach. Or, uh, so don't make, um, don't assume that Martin will will make the Jake Hager jump to low A. I would probably expect Hudson Valley next year. That makes that makes some sense. The Baseball America podcast with John and Matt, faithful listener Joe LaCates asks, got to hear from Matt what evaluators were saying about Lance McCullers Jr. in the IP League this year. Now Lance McCullers Jr. did not qualify, I believe, for the IP League. Did, did now how many appearances did he make in that league? Three or four? Just a handful. Yeah. He uh, about as far as I got on him was uh, sounds like his three his three main pitches will play, um, you know I guess yeah, four outings I guess in the uh, in the Appy League there and ten walks in fifteen innings but I mean you know pretty hard to yeah really parse that down I think uh, again from a statistical the, standpoint. one manager who saw him good said did like his pitchability and the potential for his three pitches and he had actually had seen him in high school so he had a, a basis for comparison. That's interesting. Well, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, to me in the draft was as good of an arm as there was in the entire draft class. So for the Astros to get him at 41, uh, pretty impressive, I thought. Uh, Astros had a pretty good draft haul and well represented in the GCL list mm-hmm. with uh, that Ben Babbler did with Carlos Correa, number one overall prospect uh, pick in the draft, number two prospect in the GCL behind Byron Buxton. And then Rio Ruiz was very high. Mm-hmm. In the GCL, that's a guy who missed most of the spring, 
but really has a, a pretty pure swing and gets some Eric Chavez comps. So uh, I love those rookie ball lists. Uh, I think it's really awesome to look at what they were five years ago. Even though you can look at 2010 and see the Braves already have a big leaguer <laughs> and Anderson Simmons. You can look at 2011 and see that J.R. Graham's getting some Chris Medlin comparisons and could be in the big leagues pretty quickly. And I, the thing I love about the Chris Medlin comps is that J.R. Graham was also a high school shortstop. I think he played some college shortstop at mm-hmm. Santa Clara early career. Mm-hmm. They're both smallish, and neither one of them was a full-time starter. We just were looking – really, Chris Medlin didn't start in the minor leagues a lot until like 2008, 2009. J.R. Graham was a little bit further ahead in terms of being uh, put in a rotation, but really dominated this year in the Carolina League. So some fun names to uh, to look at. Matt, I think a little bit less fun in the Eastern League is where in the Eastern League and in the AAA, even in the IL – I can't think of an example of this in the I.L. other than some of the pitchers who put up really gaudy numbers like a Tyler Cloyd. But at upper levels, we always get the question in chats or we get the questions on Twitter about outliers statistically who are also outliers in terms of age. And i got to ask you in the Eastern League, Darren, don't call me babe, rough. Uh, how, how tough is it to take a guy who hits 20 home runs in a month like babe rough did, <laughs> like Darren rough did, <laughs> And try to put him in contact with the rest of that league when he's 26 years old. How how hard of a nut is that to crack when you're evaluating him as a prospect for a league top 20? Well, this is where you you can look a little bit into the statistical profile. Uh, Reading is a, is a nice hitter's park for that for that league, for the Eastern League. Uh, and, and you look at it and, and really break it down. Rough hit a lot better in that park, mm-hmm. um, and he hit a lot better versus lefties, which we we've already seen evidence of in the major leagues where he's gone deep off of uh, John Lannon. Yeah. And uh, Detweiler, Ross I was, Detweiler. I assume you were going to say Jeff Locke. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're seeing that the Phillies really put you know, rough strengths on display, and, and he's actually impacted a couple of games. Um, but, yeah. It, wow. I didn't realize he hit 19 home runs in 148 at-bats against left-handed pitchers. That is sick. He slugged 838 he, against left-handers. If some team wants to carve out just a right-handed pinch hitter, you know, platoon, left field, first base. He's he's the guy. I, I I wonder about the left field. Just having watched a couple of those Nats-Phillies games, I think it's a noble experiment to try him in left field. I don't know that you could do that <laughs> on any kind of a consistent basis at the major leagues. His arm, he needs to get on the Alan Jager long toss program if he's going to be an outfielder because his arm, it is a rag arm. I it's mean, tough because, you know, you look at other late developing guys like, like an Alan Craig. Yeah. You know, he, he did. He was able to play third base sort right. of corner outfield. Right, he even played second base in the major leagues. Yeah. You could not imagine Darren Ruff even doing that in any kind of pass, po- possible way, right? Yeah, and Craig probably had two years in AAA at age 26, where Ruff is right now. At double A. I mean, R- I Ruff's in double A. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, his season, and really the thing is, Matt, it was a pretty, it was a good, not great year. It was a year in line with what he'd done in the minor leagues until August when he just went berserk. Yeah, I talked to his manager about, about uh, Darren, and, um, the, the point he emphasized was is starting maybe halfway through last season, Ruff really tried to begin hitting the ball in the air, really trying to loft the ball, whereas before he'd been more of a doubles hitter. Right. He Mind. was a gap-to-gap guy. I mean, 2010, that half year, well, two-thirds of a year at Clearwater, five home runs and 34 doubles. So the Florida State League, you're playing in big league parks, heavy air. You don't see gaudy home run totals usually in that league. And, and last year, his, his 2011 season there was a great year. Uh, 308 with 43 doubles, 17 home runs. That was a very, very good year. Still didn't necessarily make him a prospect. I think it's a great story, and I, I like Darren Ruff. But like you said, to me, feels like his future role, and this is kind of foreshadowing our Cody Decker podcast part <laughs> that's coming up, I think his future role is as a DH first base, like you said, a platoon guy, um, especially while he's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, feels like he's an American League player more than an actual Yeah, he's player. like a Brandon Snyder, like what the Rangers got out of Brandon Snyder this year. Yeah, it's a good comp. And a lot more power. Than You're just going to spot him at first in DH against left-handed pitchers. That's the ideal role, I suppose, in my opinion. I suppose you could do that in Philadelphia with Ryan Howard if you weren't paying Ryan Howard $25 million, <laughs> where it would look a little bit bad to platoon him. But that's, I mean, what, that's what they have Ty Wickington for. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. I, and, and it's in the same organization, but I kind of had a little bit of this uh, as well this year in the <clears throat> International League with Tyler Cloyd. Mm-hmm. And, again, a guy who's been on the radar – more as a performance guy than as a stud prospect over the years, and just gave up uh, Bryce Harper's 21st home run the other day and gave up a mammoth shot. I'm not sure if he shot Sweet. this, but that home run he gave up to Michael Morse. 
Oh, one yeah. Of, one of the longer home runs you're going to see. I think it was 480 feet. Into the D.C. bullpen? It was, yeah. It was, um, as Nathan Ruddy would say, a bomb. <laughs> but, um, but Tyler Cloyd, I mean, I think in most years in the International League, and I'll, I'll give this a little, this little uh, what's the word, this little spoiler alert. The International League was our only one-star league in this year's uh, league top 20s. We rate all the leagues on a one-to-five-star basis relative to each other, and the IL is at the bottom. And it's a 20 league in terms of talent this year. And Tyler Cloyd made the list. I'm pretty sure he did. I have to double-check the final edit. <laughs> I wrote him up, but you never know with Jim Callis doing the final edit. Um, but, I mean, I think in most years, Tyler Cloyd would not have made the International League list when you're sitting at 88 and you're, you know, you're 86 to 90 with a fastball. And it's just not a plus pitch, but he's a, he's a pitchability right-hander, Matt. And at some point, I think in these league lists, the, especially the higher you go, the stats do matter a little bit. And I also feel like age matters a little bit less for a pitcher, which is why Christian Garcia, speaking of the Nationals, can make a league top 20 in their National League at age 27. Mm-hmm. And he's a different case, but I'm not sure what your thought process is on, on Tyler Cloyd or ranking a guy like that. Still feel like the only reason he made my IL top twenty was just that the IL was so weak this year. It was Ukraine week. <laughs> he kind of um, does, does he kind of remind you of Josh Tomlin, who was also a former International League star? Yeah. You know, just a guy who cuts the ball and, yeah. and throws his three other pitches and just great comp. And Tomlin had a good half season with the Indians. Uh, Cloyd is doing that now. Uh, it's kind of first exposure to the league. Right. Tomlin got hurt, so we don't know exactly what's behind his his fade. Um, but yeah, exactly. To me, I mean, I think Tomlin started a, an All-Star game just like Cloyd, the AAA All-Star game. I think you're right. So I, I, think, I right. think there are a number of parallels between the two. That is fascinating. Now, and Tyler Cloyd, I think, just like Josh Tomlin, has gotten to the big leagues before ever making a top 30. I don't think Cloyd ever made one of our Phillies' top 30s. He may have snuck in last year. Hmm. I don't think he did. He got best control. Now, he hasn't made it before. He got best control in the IL this year at the uh, in the best tools. I mean, the, the internationally was full of guys like that. It was full of really good defensive shortstops who couldn't hit, guys like Jose Iglesias and Pedro Florimon. Um, and it was also a league that at the beginning of the year you would have looked at it and said, okay, Bryce Harper is going to be in the league long enough to be this league's top prospect. Will Millbrooks is going to be in this league long enough to qualify. And you looked at the Eastern League and you looked at Double A around the minors and said, okay, Zach Wheeler's going to get up here enough to – qualify for the IL by the second half, or maybe uh, um, what's the left-hander with the Rays? Came up at the end of the year with the Bulls. I'm blank on his name right now. Not Cabrera. Colome, right Colome. I'm sorry, right-handed. Yeah, Colome. Mm-hmm. Alex Colome came up at the end of the year, made three or four starts. Uh, really, there was so many, there was a lot of talent in the International League at one time or another that in a lot of other years would have qualified. John Pettibone, yep. the guy who fell, I think, one start short of qualifying if, in the international. If the Orioles aren't in the race, Machado might have gone up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think in most years, the IL was set up to be a, a normal international league year. But just the way things happened, guys got promoted to the major leagues faster. Um, you know, maybe if uh, Darren Ruff has his big month in June instead of in August, he winds up in the IL and he's my problem, not yours. Or as much my problem as he is yours. Uh, but instead, you know, you have a league with, uh, a lot of Chris Parmalees and uh, guys who've been up and down guys already uh, who wind up in your league top 20. And that's, to me, where I do think when you have a low number of uh, projectable guys, guys who are still on the way up, uh, then you wind up with, okay, who had the best stats and why? And then if you find out why they did it and if that's repeatable. Frankly, with Tyler Cloyd, I don't even think is that repeatable. Um but he, he's done much better in the major leagues than I ever uh, thought he would, just in this uh, small sample size. So, uh, do you have a preference that you've done the Eastern League? You've done uh, you've done an international league list, have you not before? Yeah, ILPCL. So you've done them all. Appalachian Pioneer Eastern. What league have you not done? No, but that's, <laughs> you've done five different league top twenties. Which do you enjoy doing more? The lower level leagues where you're kind of uh, blazing the trail of discovery, or the <laughs> the higher level leagues where you have a little bit more data to work with? Uh, I like the thrill of discovery with the Appalachian League in particular because it's a good balance of uh, high school and international players. I don't think I don't think a lot of the other leagues really have that strike that balance quite as well. We have first round picks, upside um, right. international bonus babies. You know, I, I like the fact that you've inherited the the James Bailey passion <laughs> for the Appalachian League. 
But that is a unique league. It's fun for us because you get to go see some of those players right, that's, in Burlington. That that's, helps. That is a huge factor. I think it helps you get to see the players so you can ask intelligent questions. Then also that you get to see the managers in person and develop some of those relationships in person, not just on the phone. For example, this year uh, at the AAA National Championship, Arnie Baylor, you know, I've been dealing with him in the Eastern League for years. This is the first time I ever met Arnie. Uh, was it the IL championship game? I had no idea he had such a ferocious mustache. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> was eye-opening. Um, but so that kind of stuff, uh, you know, you don't always get to do, and we don't uh, have the we don't have the T&E budget, Matt, to go gallivanting around the country and uh, see all these players. But even if we do see them, really seeing them just helps you ask a little bit more intelligent question. Again, as JJ likes to say, hashtag not a scout. Um and uh, is there is there a deep sleeper in your IL uh, in your Eastern League list I should say that you want to uh, point out to uh, before we, we let you go? Uh, Someone who didn't make it, whether it's a guy who didn't make it or a guy who did who maybe people aren't as aware of. I'm gonna so. I'm gonna set you up for somebody you like to talk about. Okay. Uh, is an outfielder by the name of L.J. Hose in the Orioles system. <laughs> Shockingly, I have become the L.J. Hose defender. He uh, qualified for both the Eastern and International leagues, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I really don't know what to make of L.J. Hose, to be honest with you. I know this. He doesn't profile. So that's a big part of the problem. And I know that earlier in his organiza- in his career, when the Orioles wisely tried to play him at second base, that did not work. And that's, that's a shame for L.J. Hose in terms of being ranked as a prospect, because if he were a second baseman, mm-hmm. I think he'd profile a lot better. In fact, if he were a second baseman, he might have been in the big leagues by mm-hmm. now. I think it's a little bit of a strike against him, that at age 22, coming off the year he had this year, and with the injuries in the big league outfield in Baltimore that he was never called up until they had exhausted all, a lot of other opportunities. Including and Andy Chavez. Right. Twice. And he's gotten one at bat. And they're still playing Andy Chavez a lot now down the stretch of the season. And he's still, you know, Hose has only gotten one at bat. He wound up making the IL top 20 because he's the youngest player who hit in that league that I could find really outside of excuse me, outside of Starling Marte, weren't a lot of young guys who hit in that league. And as a 22-year-old with a polished approach who does have back-to-ball skills and some consistent athleticism, ability to hit for average, draw some walks. To me, there's a place for him, but he's about as tough a profile fit as there is, Matt, in the, minor, in the upper minor leagues of a guy who hit 300 uh, in AAA and 265 you know, for you and Doug in the Eastern League. Where do you put his run tool at? How, is he, how much of a runner is he? I got a 55, 60 run times on him. Uh, so he's a, probably more of a tick above average rather than a true plus, which is where that 55 grade kind of comes in for some clubs. Because you give him that 70, and you can kind of see Rajay Davis or somebody like that. Right. That's that's the real reason he doesn't profile is that he doesn't run enough to play center field. He's just not a center fielder. To me, if there was some way the the... the uh, if Jeff, if Jeff Goldblum came along and could merge Xavier Avery and L.J. Hose into one player, uh, as long as he kept the Brundle fly out of the out of the mix, uh, you would have a useful player there if you could merge L.J. Hose and Xavier Avery. But all the athleticism that Avery has, that if he if Hose had some of that speed that could take him to that level of being a center fielder, or even if he had some of the arm strength to be a right fielder, I, it might fit better. For me, L.J. Hose has a chance to fit in Baltimore because they have power, they have non-profile power at catcher and shortstop at center field. They have a center fielder who hits like a corner bat. They have a catcher who hits like a corner bat. And they have a shortstop who, at least in terms of power, produces power like a corner bat. So what their offense really lacks, as it's currently constructed, is somebody to consistently get on base. That's why Nick Marquez I thought was so important to them. So I could see where L.J. Hose would actually fit for them in left field, as long as Weeders, Jones, Hardy produce power for them at those non-traditional positions. But I still think he's a tough guy to carry uh, long-term. I think he's more of a reserve fit than anything else. But I do think there's a, there's a 20% chance that he hits enough to make himself a regular, even though there's just not a lot of power in there. He's going to have to – it would certainly help if he stole bases more efficiently as opposed to going 20 for 32 like he did this year. So he he's a tough – uh, I just don't know what to make of that guy. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm on the optimistic side with him, and I still think he's a reserve, um, up and down kind of guy. But the Orioles don't have a whole lot of. There's not a lot of depth in that farm system. Still amazing though that both Machado and Bundy saw the big leagues for that team this year, like, especially Dylan Bundy. But there, there, there are lots of parts of that uh, Orioles story that are great parts of the story. 
Good podcast here, though. We've got the second part of the podcast coming up with myself and Cody Decker. Hope you enjoyed that. Enjoyed this part of it, Matt, with you. And we will see all the rest of you on the second part of this podcast with uh, John Manuel and Cody Decker. For Matt Eddy, we'll see you next time. So long, everybody. On the Baseball America podcast, I'm John Manuel, joined by a guest today. It's the one and only Cody Decker. I guess in the future we'll just introduce everyone as at Decker6. We'll introduce everybody only by their Twitter handles. But Cody, former UCLA first baseman, now in the San Diego Padres organization, most recently uh, playing first base outfield for uh, mostly, I guess, outfield for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. We'll touch on all those things, on Cody's uh, comedy career, and on why Baseball America hates him so much in this segment of the show. So, Cody, uh, joining us from Los Angeles, correct? I am. Actually, right now I'm at UCLA. I just finished running. And why do you people hate me? <laughs> well, let's just start right there. Uh, I think it all comes down to I never really liked my father, Cody. But, no, uh, no I think it comes down to uh, well, Baseball America and, and prospects. It, it, one thing that you, people notice, players notice when we don't, write positively about them, I guess. That, that, is that true of not just you, but other minor leaguers? I have noticed that guys know, do uh, appreciate or not appreciate when uh, they're being written negatively about. Uh, for, in, uh, for instance, uh, I, don't, I don't read your publication. I've never heard of you. Um, this is the first uh, I've ever heard of you guys. Okay. But uh, that's not true. I've never heard of you. <laughs> um, but uh, my uh, mom and dad love getting, like, Google alerts that have to do with my name and uh, they okay. love to read me things and I could I could care less what's being written about me I'm assuming it's all negative because I once again I say I have read your publication before <laughs> and basically like they my mom get my mom and dad get irate with how uh, the amount of bashing on me there is and I I I like it it's the bulletin board I got to throw it up on there and be like well uh you know who's after me today oh I have enemies baseball America like shake my fist in the air <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, I, I, the the roots of it apparently go back to what I can think of. Um, I do know that uh, Aaron Fitt and I have this uh, gnawing part in the back of our minds that uh, we either we either want members of the 2008 UCLA team that was our preseason number one team and that did not live up to that potential. We either want guys like uh, who were on that team like you. That's right. Oh, man. We either want uh, you guys I remember really awesome, and so in retrospect, we could say, see, that team was loaded, or we want you guys all to stink and, to, and, and karmic, uh, you know, to, for some karma to come back up because you guys let us down. So Charles Brewer, okay. Gavin Brooks, Brandon oh, yeah. Crawford, all you guys, Jermaine Curtis, it's all, it all goes back to that. Well, here's the thing about that. What I find really – that's where it like, all stemmed from. We underperformed that year, but we weren't, we weren't by any means bad. I mean, we were, in the, we were in the regionals, almost won the regional, got knocked out by Fullerton because that's what we did back then. We kept getting beat by Fullerton in the regionals for Super Regional. And uh, it was funny. I, I had a really down junior year, and I, it might have been a blogger for you guys or someone wrote in, uh, the reason the Bruins underperformed was Cody Decker's abysmal season. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's just what I wanted to read at the end of this wonderful uh, season. That's great. <laughs> I'm going to go shoot myself. I bet it was actually – wasn't there an outfield on your team? Uh, Cohen? Gabe, Gabe Cohen. Cohen. I love that guy. I played with him since we were, we played together since we were like 12. I think I put it all on Gabe Cohen as opposed to you. Well, that, that was probably me. Well, We've already established that I'm kind of a kind of a dick in this. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Well, it depends if you read that wonderful double-A quote you gave me. That's right. That was uh, the, the, the one that we found that probably is the root of this was apparently a 2009 draft chat. Um, now, I don't think I did our California coverage in 2009, but it was draft-related. And someone asked uh, if, if what I thought of you as a prospect, and my answer was, and I think you hit 21 home runs as a senior, correct? I did. Yep. So I wrote. I can't just. I just can't see teams getting excited about Decker. I think of him as a nice college player, and that's about it. He should be. This is the damning part. He should be a fine double A DH one day. Not trying to be hard, <laughs> although I was just incredibly hard. I just and for the record, him. sorry, Jess. And I and for, oh yeah, it's terrible. And for the record, I was an above average double A DH. So how dare you? <laughs> and a triple A player this year, which was the other part that. Uh, you said during the World Baseball Classic they didn't even uh, include your AAA stats in mentioning your season now, this year. Which, well, to be honest, my AAA stats weren't anything to write home about. I, I, I only had about a 90 to 100 at-bats, and they were static at-bats towards the end there. So I kind of 
started off hot there and kind of went off, and then I fell off really quick, bad 20 at bats, and then it turned into like 30, and then it was just stacked at bats, so my my average was way down, but I still had four home runs while I was there, still had like 15 RBIs while I was there, and I went back down, and no one seemed to – it was like that month never happened. So, yeah, 25 home runs this year. No. (laughs) 29 home runs. 29. And he's like, well, you also had 67 RBIs. Why so little? I had 81, but whatever. Thanks. <laughs> i tell you what. I think I thought that was a 2012 stat line, that it was San Antonio, Tucson, San Antonio, because I think I said on our – I'm pretty sure I wrote that you and uh, Nate Fryman combined for 49 home runs as teammates at San Antonio, which is technically true, but that does short you your four home runs in AAA. The yeah, point is, San Antonio, sir. And the, the, the point is – uh, you hit a lot of home runs. You hit 20-plus in college as a senior. You hit 28 a couple of years back at Lake Elsinore. Now, this year you hit 29, so uh, one would think that that would uh, garner you a smidge of respect. Well, you know, I like I like to – I mean, my mom says I'm special, so I feel good. <laughs> well, Team Israel thought you were special. That's the ma- That was one of the first reasons why I wanted to make sure I talked to you about this is because I do have a little case of World Baseball Classic Fever um, I haven't had enough cowbell yeah. apparently to, to assuage that, so I'm hoping that you can help me get past my World Baseball Classic fever. But you did play for uh, Team Israel last weekend, uh, a, a, a gut-wrenching loss, a 10-inning loss to Spain. But if you don't mind taking me through and our listeners a little bit through that process, when were you first contacted um, for playing for Team Israel? Was it was it Brad Osmus or was it someone else who, who reached out to you about playing for Team Israel? It actually was Brad, but I, to be honest with you, I, I reached out to him. Okay, um, cool. Because I read, I, I literally read on MLB.com that the t- they're trying to put a team together. Brad Osmus is involved, and I'm just sitting there. Well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, and Brad Osmus works for the Padres. There's got to be a way I can con my way onto this team through Brad. I mean, right. that's just got to be like, I just got to. I mean, I, I, I know I, I qualify, but like I. I don't like if it was a if it was a coach from another like uh, another organization. I don't know how easily it would have been. Gotcha. So I immediately emailed Brad, and I didn't even know if Brad even knew who I was because um, I just assumed no one knows who I am. <laughs> and if ever. we know who we are, if we know who you are, we don't like you. No, and if you know me, you just hate me. <laughs> it's just this innate reaction towards me. It's amazing, uh, which is so sad because I'm so charming and I have a great smile. <laughs> but I, I I immediately emailed him and. This is actually kind of funny. I emailed him, and I think it said something along the lines of, "Hey, he was like, dear Brad, my name is." Co-. It was like a it was like a formal letter that you send to like right. a, a player when you're like 12. Dear Mr. Osmus. Like, yeah, it was like, dear Mr. Osmus, you are really great. <laughs> uh, I, I'm Cody Decker. I play for the Padre organization for the last few years. Not sure if you knew me. By the way, I hit this many home runs last year. I got hurt this year. And right away, like I'm like I'm Jewish. I would kill to be involved with this. This is something I really would love to be a part of. He immediately emailed me back, and it wasn't even oh well, you're you got it. It was I know who you are, Cody. <laughs> and I'm like oh well, in that case, can I play? And he's just like yes. If it, at the time we weren't sure if it was gonna happen, he's like, but if it happens, your name's definitely on the list. Would love to have you play. Be great. And you know everything kind of just fell in line and. I mean, I, I can easily say this is one of the this has been one of the best baseball experiences of my life. Every detail of it, it was something really special. Yeah. With the exception of how it how it ended. I mean. Um, yeah, I think I, I saw the, the video. Of, I saw the video of your team trainer. That that seemed like that was pretty pretty big way to start things off. You guys were pretty uh, pretty keyed up with the Blue Jays trainer, correct? Uh yes. Oh, his speech that was an amazing speech, and it, like everyone was just kind of beaming with pride. Not that like, we, we ever. Not that any of us had any real issues or hiding that we were Jewish or anything like that. Nothing like that. But, was, I mean, I've never pl- – you know, I, I played, like, against the Maccabee team when I was a kid. I didn't play for them because I played for too many teams back then. And then, you know, I've never played for an all-Jewish team. And it was kind of something – these are all pro ball players who have been playing for a long time, played college. Everyone's a smart, good ball player. And we all just had that little connection that, connection that we were Jewish. And it – and to us, it wasn't a little connection. It was something really big and deeper, and it really became, you know, we gelled really well right off the bat. And I mean, I can't, I can't say enough positive things about everything about it, about the coaching staff, about the players, about, you know, how we were received by um, 
the Israeli players and everyone that put it together, it was it was something that I I it'll never it's unparalleled. Yeah, have you been to Israel before? Did this kind of uh, heighten your awareness, maybe about your uh, your your faith and your ethnicity? Did it, did it get you in touch with that at all? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, we're all trying to get us to go to Israel. We're all like all the players are constantly emailing back and forth, like let's plan a trip to Israel this offseason. Let's go. We want to do it, and the, um, it probably would have been a lot easier if we won against right. Spain. I mean, that whole double, that old modified double elimination thing kind of got us, I think. But you know, it was just. Uh, that game was a dogfight. It was an absolute dogfight on both ends, and they just came out on top. really seemed like in the middle of that game, I don't want to get too in the weeds in that game, but I did watch that game twice. So um, I watched it live, then I watched it on the DVR. It seemed like when they brought in – You watched it twice? Yeah. I was, I well, watched, that's not 17 hours. We'll never get back. That's, that's probably true. That, it was an exciting game. But when they brought it in was, Eduardo really Morlan, I mean, here's Eduardo Morlan, who's Cuban – uh, Amer- I guess Cuban American, then pitched in the Futures game. Uh, was a he was a prospect. He was one of these prospects that we liked, and then uh, now is an indie ball. Yeah, you hated me. That's right. That's right. But he he seemed like he kind of changed the game when he came in there. He- yeah, it was it was it was really a, it was a it was an exciting game. It was a great game to be a part of. Everyone was fired up on both ends. Yeah, it was actually it was it more or less felt like a college game. You know, like a college regional game. Because every inning, everyone's trying to win every single inning, every pitch. You know, we're cheering in the dugout like we're 18-year-old freshmen in, in you know, the Pac-10. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was something really special. And it was just, it, like I said, it was heartbreaking. I, 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 like, spent, like, the next day shaking in bed after that loss. I was, uh, it was a gun wrestler, but, you know, it was, it was really a special experience. Yeah, and the intensity of that, of international baseball, seems like, you know, college baseball is the best analog that American fans kind of have today. I mean, you already mentioned that, but there's, that's the only thing that's really kind of com- comparable. And talk a little bit about yeah. your, your teammate, both for Team Israel and at San Antonio this year. I mean, Nate Fryman, he's like eight inches taller than you. He's a gargantuan human being, but he had a big weekend, four home runs. Uh, you know, what's similar and what's different about you guys as players? It's like you guys arrive at the same point or a similar point as far as what your strengths and weaknesses are as players and yet you come at it from very different physical uh, aspects. It's actually kind of funny. Me and Nate we have, are very close. We're really good friends. Really get along. Like we're like, oh, it's almost like we're not comfortable hitting behind each other or next to each other. Huh. Uh, we we have like we talk we talk about every range of topics from like uh, politics to comic books. I mean, we we talk everything because we 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 assume we're the only educated people in the area at all times. <laughs> So we uh, we we became extremely close, and uh, you know he's just this gigantic, extraordinarily talented, uh, just goofy guy, and he's he's so quiet. And it's funny when you give him praise, he's so uncomfortable about it. Like he doesn't want to hear your praise, he doesn't want to accept your praise. He'll just sit there and deflect it on someone else. He's like, yeah, but that guy did great. And it's just because he's literally the nicest person in the world. If you didn't if you didn't like Nate Fryman. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> uh, he's he's really just the nicest guy in the world. So it was funny. He went crazy this weekend. In fact, like one of those games, he completely carried our offense. Uh, he really like first he had four hits in the tournament, all home runs. One of which was the hardest hit ball I've ever seen him hit. And even his outs were hard hit. He was just going crazy. And uh, after the game, he just kind of leans into me and he just goes, "I don't know what to do." I'm like, "What do you mean?" I've never done this before. <laughs> and I kind of looked at him like deciding, I, I don't know how I took this, this because one, what he said to me is completely not true. He does that all the time. Right. Uh, right. He has games like that often. He's, he's an unbelievable player, especially for his size. It's just, shock, it's like shocking. And he, he just was like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I've never hit like this before. And I, I just think it was like, it's okay. You just keep doing it. Just, um, uh, just make sure you go ice your back because it's probably really sore after carrying us today. That's and it. you get ready in a couple of days for the next game. Yeah. And just I love hitting hitting behind him. And the reason, obviously, the reason he did so well is because he had the best protection <laughs> in the country. Yeah, you and Casey he Hart are back UCLA guys there. Oh yeah, good old Case. So, but and so and Casey, uh, uh, his little trivia, I guess, for him is that he'll get to. He was the guy who officially wound up ending. Sean Green's career because he pinch hit for Sean 
there late in that game, and you tweeted on your way out to Israel to uh, to, to Jupiter, not to Israel, but to Jupiter uh, for the for that weekend that you were on the same plane as Sean Green. Kind of what was that like to be to grow up a Dodger fan, uh, be a fan of Sean Green, then to be on the same team with him? Uh, I mean, I was I was legitimate at this tournament. I was legitimately start star start twice. Uh, once with Sean Green, because one, I'm I'm a born and raised Dodger fan, and like, uh, you know, also being Jewish in LA, Sean Green was more than a man to like everyone. Sure. He was like our hero, and uh, the other guy was Ganya. I, I mean, I got to meet Ganya in this tournament, and I was I was starstruck. I didn't know what to do. I, I wanted to like get a sign that said "Game Over" and like run around screaming around him in circles. <laughs> And then put it up, tape it, put it online, let it go viral, and let that become something that I, I, I never had the courage. It's too bad. Uh, it's too bad that he uh, that he. I guess he tried to get eligible for the French team and did not. Um, oh. But you uh, that that would have been pretty special to, if you'd gotten a chance to face him. I don't I don't think you guys even played France, but uh, no, we didn't. We missed him. That would have been that would have been cool. But that would have been pretty special if he had uh, if he'd gotten to pitch for France. That would have made I think that would have made France's team a little bit better uh, if he would pitched for yeah. France. Um, so oh, he was he, he was he was cool meeting them, but, but Green like I see you saw. Oh no, I'm sorry. What did you say? I was a Dodger fan, Padre player. Uh, do you ever have any any conflicting feelings, or are you are you more of a Padres fan than a Dodger fan? Man, how does that work when you get drafted? More, uh, really, once I got drafted, I put everything in the drawer, and everything was uh, about you know my team, and you know the Padres, the big league club has. I mean, hell, the majority of the guys on the team are my, now like my ex-teammates, and I root for them all the way. I'm a huge, huge fan of all of it. So I'm, I'm a, right now a diehard Padres fan. There you go. That and, makes uh, sense. And I'm, and I'm sure if I got like Rule Five by the Orioles, I'd be a diehard Orioles fan. See, I, this is we should have talked to you longer ago if we hadn't hated you. We could have gotten that because you had that insight. I was about to ask you. Now this off season, maybe you'll get Rule Five. I mean, it's, it's a protection year. Uh, uh, yeah. Who knows, huh? You know, you know, it's always a crapshoot. I mean, that's like that business aspect of the game that I've always done a good job of staying out of and trying to. You know, the it's funny. Every minor leaguer always tries to play GM. You know, we always like sit around and like around trade deadline, we all sit around and like snicker with each other, like, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to do this, this, and this. Yeah, if I was doing it, I'd do this, this, and we're never right <laughs> ever. We're, we're just so wrong, and then you guys make your predictions, and you guys are even wrong than we were. I don't think it doesn't make you any different from the rest of us, exactly. Uh, so it's 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 that that, that aspect. Of, like it'd be fun, but I love my organization. I love being a part of this organization. They they're the they're the guys that gave me the shot. Well, it sounds you like know, you, it sounds like you enjoy the game. It sounds like you have a lot of passion uh, for baseball. And I, our draft report that we wrote about you mentioned, I guess, another passion that you had. That uh, you did act some in high school. Um, I, did you act at all in college? And is that just judging by your Twitter? I don't know if you're the the baseball's version of Louis C.K., but there's some there, there there's a sense of humor in here people haven't already picked up on on the podcast. That uh, is that a, a, po- a potential career for you out of baseball after baseball is over? You know, I've thought of, I've always thought about. It. I, they did this is funny. I tried to apply to the film school here at UCLA, okay. and I also tried to apply to the uh, the uh, theater program. Both said no, and they said because I was an athlete here, there's just no time. You can't do it. Mm. You can't do both. Um, I said that's horrible because I'm the greatest actor ever, <laughs> and they um, they, did, they didn't believe me, and they moved on. Uh, but yeah, I used to I used to act. Uh, I was part of a theater company, uh, Santa Monica Civil Loud Opera. Doesn't exist anymore, so I don't know why I gave them that shout out. Um, <laughs> But it was a lot of fun. I had so much fun uh, performing on stage. There was actually a story that you even mentioned to me earlier, uh, which is a complete true story. Like you can't write these things. If if I saw it in a movie, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, we we made. I had a matinee show that day for the Music Man. I was I was a star of it. Played Professor Harold Hill, uh, which is which is the star. I didn't have a small role in the background. Come on, man. Okay. <laughs> and and. Uh, the show was a daytime show, so we had a morning game. My my coach was nice enough to like make the game that day in the morning to accommodate me, which I thought was the nicest thing I could have done awesome. for me. Well, we were we had the game well in hand. Uh, it was a great game. We were winning one nothing in the last inning. Uh, I hit a home run my first at bat, and I got intentionally walked four times after that. And we uh, had him down, and then finally two outs in the last inning, they score a run. We ended up playing eleven innings. Oh goodness. 
and and the show was supposed to start a half hour before the game ended. So literally, when the game ended, the the theater was just on the other side of the of the campus. So I I ran over to the theater, changed as quick as I can, and I performed performed the show. That's pretty and, awesome. Uh, it, it was. It's kind of looking back. It was kind of a cool story. It was fun. Uh, something that doesn't happen every day. You had to have an understudy but, uh, who was really pissed off that you showed up in time. He's like stomping off. Come on. You, you think for one second someone could un- was going to understudy this guy? Come on. <laughs> that shows you how little I know about the acting game. With with with, with these pipes, have you you've never heard me sing? Uh, but with these pipes, you just can't. You can't replace them. So I'm just looking forward to the. To, I'm, I'm hoping that the producers of Glee are listening to this, so they can have you as the cameo, as the jock or the big the big league baseball player who comes to campus for a younger brother or something and, and gets on Glee and and sings in the oh, music man, band. Wouldn't that be great? They they can have that um that fine future double A DH come on and do the do the job. <laughs> That really that made an impression on you. That really did. It, 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 honestly, it made more of an impression. I think it's hilarious, personally. But my mom was my mom. My mom was so offended by it, she wouldn't show it to me. <laughs> she, she was just like, "He's just going off." I'm like, "What's going on?" It's like, "I'm not even going to show you." I'm like, uh, "Now you kind of have to." And she showed it to me, and I I honestly laughed. I thought it was a really funny comment. Well, she didn't find it so funny. It's pretty funny. I think that's the uh, – my all-time favorite story like that is when I was talking to Gary Brown a couple of years ago. You mentioned Fullerton. And when uh, Christian Cologne was in high school, I had talked to several scouts about Christian Cologne, about Cologne being a guy who would be an ideal candidate to move to catcher. And so I wrote that in our draft preview, and I was talking to Gary. Uh, and it was, Gary's, it was Gary and Christian's junior year in college. And I was talking to Gary about this story about how, you know, their roles had kind of flipped. You know, they, they'd always been linked together because they were high school guys who played on travel ball teams and they went to Fullerton and all this. And I was talking about writing about them for three or four years. And Gary goes, were you the guy who wrote that Christian needed to move to catcher? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm the one who wrote that. And he just laughed and said, me and Christian thought that was the stupidest thing we ever read. <laughs> so, so it's always made that, you know, I've, I've, I've always known at BA that, especially when you're writing about stuff, guys for the draft, that the people who that you have to remember that your audience can include the person that you're writing about, but that doesn't mean that that hasn't uh, been at the back of my mind rather than the front of my mind. Um, so it's, no, no, literally, I, I harbor nothing, nothing on that. I literally, I thought it was the funniest comment ever written about me. It's, it's pretty uh, funny. So I, 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 I have used that comment multiple times since then. And when you were talking to me about this earlier, you looked up and was like, oh, man, I wrote this about you. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I, I remember that. You're a dick. <laughs> it was a Mitt Romney moment for me. The last thing, I do want to encourage people to check out your Twitter feed, at Decker6. So I'm just going to read a few of my favorite recent of your tweets because I think you're pretty funny on here. And I, uh, again, this is why I think you, you, there is a future for you in the entertainment industry uh, beyond your baseball career, uh, not instead well, I've of. Always thought, I've always thought about getting back into acting, but you know, to do that, I know I'd have to drop like 15 pounds or, according to your publication, 60. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But I like this one. Oh, my God, I have a horrible no. deal. A horrible idea. I'm sorry. I'll start over. Delivery is everything in comedy. Oh, my God. I have a horrible yes, idea. Tyler Perry's writing process. I love that joke. Yeah. That's a great joke. <laughs> yeah, he's horrible. I also enjoy like I'm a people person. Cannibals. That seems like that, that, yeah. the quote and then the funny, ironic person saying the quote. Is that something that, is that kind of like – that seems like one someone that you do fairly consistently and fairly well. I, I like to refer to it as like smarts. It's stupid smart humor. I like it. Yep. It's it's like something that is like right. It's something that's right. In, it's just observational. It's right in front of your eyes, but you wouldn't really think of it. It's something like that. I like to, I like making little observations about that, and I try my very best to keep profanity out of it. Every once in a while, a, a word will sneak in. Luckily, I haven't gotten into trouble yet. Um, the the Padres have been nothing but great to me about my social media life. Uh, I wrote I wrote down a, yet. That's good. No, they haven't. They, they, they actually, I mean, uh, I, I wrote, I was writing a blog for a little bit called Minor Thoughts that was pretty funny, and uh, it was just my day-to-day thing during the season, my thoughts on this and that. And uh, the first one I wrote, I'm like, well, I, I said some stupid things, but nothing like that could get me into trouble. And that day, uh, our uh, 
basically uh, Randy Smith came up to me and that day he just happened to be in town looking at me and said, hey, Decker, thoroughly enjoyed the blog. <laughs> looking forward. But he said it like with this almost look in his eye like, you better watch what you say or I'll kill you <laughs> in your sleep. Well, the thing and, is, they, you're, you are cursed by the ghost of Dirk Hayhurst having come up through that organization and uh, already – I know Dirk. Dirk's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. A uh, great writer and a and a hilarious guy. So that, I mean, that's the thing is that you you're already trotting upon ground that the the uh, Padres have already experienced uh, with that, you know. Yeah, but luckily I'm. I mean, Dirk got to the big leagues. I've been fairly under the radar with the organization, like so much so that I'm pretty sure they still don't remember my name. <laughs> like, I did though, Brad. I, I, I'm, I'm expecting myself to show up to spring training and they'll be like, "Oh, what's going on, Jeff?" Because they just see the decker on the back of my jersey. <laughs> And I'm like, hey, how's, yeah, how's it going? I mean, I'm just basically like conning my way to keep him stay in the organization before someone realizes that's Cody. He's still here. Yeah, now wow. you, I, you had the better year of the Deckers in in the in your in the organization. So, um, well, I'm, I'm I'm the cuter one. So, <laughs> and and that's the thing is, I, maybe we were confusing uh, you and Jeff uh, in those days. Maybe that maybe that was my problem. Um, well, I did, no, that definitely wasn't the case. But by the way, just for the record, before before uh, you get off you get off this great inter- great nice interview with me and start m- mentioning that I'm overweight and horrible <laughs> again, um, I'm actually in very good shape. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, doing, you're doing steps. Yeah, I just finished steps. But for the record, like I, I'm the first to admit, acknowledge, I look terrible in uniform. I don't know why I look so bad in a uniform, but I look bad in a uniform. It's scary to me. So I, I, it's funny when I ever like talk to my coaches. Like we had a coach, uh, Matt Martin, in for Team Israel, mm-hmm. and I finished hitting, and he just kind of I hit like a, a line drive home run over the center field wall, and he like patted me on the shoulder. He's like, "You're you're you're really solid." I'm like, "I know, I'm, I'm aware of that." He's like, "No, I like I, it's hard to tell." I'm like, "I know, isn't that horrible?" <laughs> and uh, apparently, a scout. Uh, I was friends with my hitting coach, Tom Tornacosta, during the season. Came up to come up to him and was like, what's my Decker? Just a terrible body, huh? And my hitting coach just lost it laughing. He's like, no, he's in very good shape. He just looks bad in the uniform. And, <laughs> but uh, he, made sure he, he made sure he mentioned that I was fat every day from the rest of that season. He's like, it's not just me that thinks you're fat, Deck. Even the scouts think it. <laughs> they do. They absolutely do. Because I've never, I've never seen you play except for with UCLA and Supers and then this weekend. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's uh, it, it, TV adds fifteen pounds, so or for Baseball America, sixty, like you said. So yeah, sixty for you guys. And and now you've got like, uh, and now you'll have a big league teammate uh, on Tuesday with Adam Greenberg going up to the big leagues with the uh, Marlins. That's pretty oh, cool. I'm so excited for that. One of the nicest, genuine guys you could ever meet. Really great guy and a great and it's been a tragic story. And I, I just hope he gets up there and has a blast and gets a knock and. Uh, you know, has fun. He deserves it. Like, honestly, he, he barely played in this last tournament and didn't bat an eye about it. Just he was so happy to be on the team, so happy to be around, and we were stoked to be around him. He's really a guy that I'm, I'm really glad I got to know. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I can't say enough good things about him and this whole experience. Well, uh, Team Israel, you guys you guys uh, represented well. I thought, uh, again, like I thought that championship game was just a great game. Uh, the Cuban Mafia, as Adrian Nieto tweeted, uh, the catcher for Spain. I mean, they have 11 Cuban players, I think, on that team. Um, that wound up uh, being – it seemed like that wound up being the difference. Morlan and then uh, Sanchez, their shortstop. Uh, that was exciting. And uh, I- I'm sorry for you guys that you don't get a chance to move on to that next round. That would have been pretty neat yeah. uh, to be able to be a part of. But uh, It's funny. Actually, I didn't, I didn't even know it was like a modified double. I thought it was just a straight double elimination up until like game two of the whole series. Yeah, the the format, you know, I've got a lot of questions on Twitter about that. The only reason I can think of, I never even asked MLB internationally, International why it was modified like that. Usually when you have a one-game championship like that, it's for TV. But, exa- you know, these games weren't exactly broadcast to a giant audience. I mean, you guys game, the championship game was tape delayed on MLB Network. I think the real issue is that, you know, you belong, your contract belongs to the, to the Padres. Uh, you know, if your pitcher is Josh Zide belongs to the Astros. I think when it's international baseball and the players are kind of the quote-unquote property of these major league organizations, I think the major league organizations always want to limit the exposure of their players being used by wearing other people's uniforms, especially the pitchers. I think think that's why it happens, but it's still 
it's difficult. They, you know, you guys went two and one. Spain went three and one, and they get to go. You guys split two games. You know, I always think back to 1998 uh, College World Series. Uh, Arizona State won its first three games. Southern Cal went four and one. They played for the championship game. It was 21 to 14. USC won, and you know, Arizona State barely. Yeah, they've been there for four games, and they're done. And they only got that one shot at it. So college baseball figured it out. Now Major League Baseball actually has this one game playoff with the with the wild cards, and you guys had that in the World Baseball Classic. So it's it's strange yeah. to see that that one game kind of taking uh, taking hold. But uh, but Cody, I, it definitely it definitely added something different. Pardon me. It definitely added a lot of it. I mean, it added a little more intensity. It was. Great experience. It was just literally. I, it wasn't, I'm not in any way complaining about it. I, I literally just didn't know. Right. That was what it was. But uh, like you said, the intensity of that game uh, to me that's the that's the appeal. And I don't think you have to have major leaguers for international baseball to be exciting because of that intensity. And like you said, I mean it was a, like a college level intensity, but with double A, triple A caliber players. Mm-hmm. It was it really. It was it was. I, I can't, I can't, I mean, it almost sounds like I'm snoozing, but really, I mean, I couldn't say enough positive things about that experience. Maybe, maybe the best, one of the best baseball experiences I've ever had. And I was sorry to see it end. Well, this was definitely I mean, one of our may, best it, podcast experiences. It's our first time in a long time we've had a player guest. And I, you're welcome. And I really appreciate having you on. And we need to have you on again when you get to the big league. So you and Dirk Hayhurst could be the former Padre farmhands who made it to the major leagues when Baseball America had never written anything nice about you. Hey, you know, that'd, that'd be great. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just glad we got to the bottom of our beef, and I'm still not really sure what it is, but it's cool. Well, apologize to your mom for me. How about that? Oh, she's not going to accept it. <laughs> she, hates, she hates you with a fire. <laughs> well, that's, uh, I, I, I'm glad that, that that motivates her going forward. So, uh... I mean, I, I can't even put into words her, her, the, the hatred for you guys that she has. It's, it's something like even... Like Shakespeare would have trouble putting into like a <laughs> even Dirk Hayhurst would have trouble amateur. putting it into words. No, Dirk would just sit around and just like I don't know, throw a couple of profanities around and then a Breaking Bad reference. That's right. But that he, only seven seven of us would get. He's got a pretty above average bitterness tool though. I mean, he may, he has fun with it, but he has plus bitterness. He might even have seven <laughs> bitterness. So. Yeah, but truth to truth, that's almost some of the most fun things to joke about. Like I, I love reading negative things about me because it's it's really the funniest things to talk about. Right, right. Because uh, I, I don't really, I mean, I used to have a, a my, my ego used to be able to get really affected by it, but really, I, I don't, and it doesn't bother me one bit anymore. I love it. I think it's, I think it's funny. I think we can I all, mean, we, we can all agree the root of this is Gavin Brooks. If Gavin Brooks had had a better junior year, none of this would, no, this, this all would have turned out differently. I refuse to get on this bandwagon of yours of trying to blame different ones for my teammates. <laughs> They're all great players and great guys. Tim Murphy. I'm trying I, to think who else I can blame. Gabe Cohen. I've already blamed yeah. Cohen, Crawford, to a certain extent. What did Crawford do? I don't know. He didn't hit enough. I don't know. Oh, blame, I'll put it on Aaron Fit for ranking you guys number one in the first place. <laughs> you know what? I'm blaming you. It's your fault. <laughs> I'm just going to wear it. All right, Cody. Yeah, hey, great you know, stuff. And uh, good luck this off season. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, it's been a lot of fun doing All this. right. Take it easy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.